Esther chapter 9. This evening we'll consider from verse 17 through to chapter 10, verse 3. As you can see, there's lots of points, but the sermon is no longer than normal. You can rest assured of that. Esther chapter 9, we'll start reading in verse 17. Hear the word of the Lord. On the 13th day of the month Adar, and on the 14th day of the same rested day, and made it a day of feasting and gladness. The Jews that were at Shushan assembled together on the 13th day thereof, and on the 14th day thereof, and on the 15th day of the same, they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore the Jews of the villages that dwelt in the unwalled towns made the 14th day of the month Adar a day of gladness and feasting and a good day, and of sending portions one to another. And Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters unto all the Jews that were in all the provinces of the king Ahasuerus, both nigh and far, to establish this among them, that they should keep the 14th day of the month Adar and the 15th day of the same yearly, as the days wherein the Jews rested from their enemies, and the month which was turned unto them from sorrow to joy, and from mourning into a good day, that they should make them days of feasting and joy, and of sending portions one to another, and gifts to the poor. And the Jews undertook to do as they had begun, and as Mordecai had written unto them, because Haman the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had devised against the Jews to destroy them, and had cast purr, that is the lot, to consume them and to destroy them. But when Esther came before the king, he commanded by letters that his wicked device, which he devised against the Jews, should return upon his own head, and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Wherefore, they called these days Purim, after the name of Pur. Therefore, for all the words of this letter, and of that which they had seen concerning this matter, and which had come unto them, the Jews ordained and took upon them and upon their seed and upon all such as joined themselves unto them, so as it should not fail, that they would keep these two days according to their writing and according to their appointed time every year. And that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, every family, every province and every city. And that these days of Purim should not fail from among the Jews, nor the memorial of them perish from their seed. Then Esther the queen, the daughter of Abiel, and Mordecai the Jew, wrote with all authority to confirm this second letter of Purim. And he sent the letters unto all the Jews to the hundred twenty and seven provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus with words of peace and truth to confirm these days of Purim in their times appointed according as Mordecai the Jew and Esther the queen had enjoyed them and as they had decreed for themselves and for their seed the matters of the fastings and their cry. And the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim And it was written in the book, chapter 10, verse 1. And the king Ahasuerus laid a tribute upon the land and upon the isles of the sea, and all the acts of his power and of his might, and the declaration of the greatness of Mordecai, whereunto the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? 
for Mordecai the Jew was next unto King Ahasuerus and great among the Jews and accepted of the multitude of his brethren seeking the wealth of his people and speaking peace to all his seed. The title for the message this evening is Don't Forget. Let's open in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you are the almighty, all-powerful God who loves his people. We do thank you that you love us, Father. And we thank you for your word. We do thank you that your word is quick and powerful. And we thank you that your word is relevant for the situations that we are in in our lives, Father. I do pray this evening that the Holy Spirit would do his work of illumination, Father. And that we would be able to learn something more about you. We pray these things in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. As mankind, we are prone to forget things, aren't we? We all tend to have very short memories, particularly when it comes to remembering good things that have happened to us, the wonderful things that others have done for us, and more importantly, the glorious things that Jesus Christ has done for you and for me. We often forget these things all too easily, or at least our appreciation diminishes rather quickly. Isn't it funny with mankind how we will never forget when someone has wronged us, or if someone owes us something, we will never forget that, we will never let that go. But within a very short period, we quickly forget the good and great things that have been done to us. Why this is the case, we could probably discuss for hours. It may well be that we just have bad memories, or maybe rooted in our pride and selfishness. I'll let you decide on that. But this problem of being prone to forget is not a new problem, but one that has always plagued humanity, and it was something that Mordecai was aware of. The Jews had just had a crushing victory. God had worked wonders. After this success, the Jews had rested, they had feasted, they had given gifts to the poor, and they were glad. This was a very noble way to celebrate such a resounding God-given triumph. But Mordecai realized the immense significance of what had occurred. And the vital importance that this should never be forgotten. And this man of God decided the appropriate action was to have an annual remembrance of the events that had just unfolded. And it is the establishing of this annual remembrance that will be our focus for the time that we have together this evening. Firstly, let's consider the divisor of Purim. The divisor of Purim. This is seen in verses 20 and 21. It is possible at this time that months had passed since the resounding victory for the Jews. And Mordecai was now sitting down to review the particulars of what had unfolded. Upon discovering that those in the country had celebrated on the 14th day, and those in the city had celebrated on the 15th day, due to the extra day of fighting, this man decides to issue a decree that there wouldn't be two distinct days, but simply one memorial day that would last 
for two days, thus bringing unity into this celebration. Upon making this decision, it's rather fitting that it was Mordecai who was the driving force behind this memorial. This man decides to write these things down. This is not referring to the book of Esther itself, but rather to write down what had occurred and also to write down what he was proposing to be introduced so this tremendous deliverance would never be forgotten. It was Mordecai's letters that were sent throughout all of the provinces, all 127, urging the annual remembrance of the conquest of the Jews' enemies. This institution of Purim is unique in that it was a Jewish observance initiated by man and not by the decree of God. Purim now joined the other Jewish feasts commanded by Moses in the Torah. But rather than being imposed on the people from God above, that it was God's commandment, Purim began as a spontaneous response of God's people to his omnipotent faithfulness. So this feast of remembrance was unique. It was not God-ordained, but it was adhered to nonetheless. Purim would not be this only type of remembrance by the time we come to Jesus Christ. There was another feast introduced by mankind known as Hanukkah. And this also marked the deliverance of the Jewish people from religious and cultural annihilation under the tyranny of Antiochus Epiphanes in the 2nd century BC. That particular deliverance was led by Judas Maccabeus, And this also came not by miraculous intervention, but by God's power working through ordinary events, just like the story of Esther. The devising of Purim by man certainly made it unique to the other feasts and festivals, yet it is still of vital importance. But just like the other feasts, it remembers the miraculous preservation and deliverance of God's people. Just like the God-ordained feast in the Torah, the name given to this feast is indeed quite appropriate. Secondly, let's consider the defining of Purim. Why is this feast called Purim? Look at verse 26. It says, Wherefore, they call these days Purim after the name of Pur. Within this statement, we have it explained as to why this remembrance was given this particular title. The name was, of course, Purim. This name was not suggested by Mordecai, but rather by the Jews themselves. And this name was extremely appropriate for this annual observance. It is a reference to Haman's casting of the Pur to decide the particular date that he was going to annihilate the Jews. If we remember the word per, this was the Persian term for the lot. Haman cast these lots because this was the way that was used to determine the will of the gods. The word Purim is simply the plural for the word per. This is how the name of this festival originated. 
This name would always remind Israel of God's mighty deliverance, but would also remind them that the casting of the lot is truly in the hand of God, as Proverbs 16.33 spells out. The name Purim and the annual celebration of Purim reminds us that God protects his people and that the final outcome is always in God's hands. The Jews picked a very good name for this particular festival. But when would this be celebrated? Thirdly, let's consider the date of Purim. The date this is seen in verse 21. And as we alluded to within the first point, the city of Shushan and the rest of the provinces rested from the battles on different days. And this was due to the fact that the battle went for an extra day in the city of Shushan, if we remember from last week. And Mordecai, in devising to establish a remembrance, decides that both they in the city and the country should celebrate as one. Since they were one, they should be an harmonious unit in this remembrance. But what date should be used to commemorate this amazing deliverance? Well, random dates could have been chosen, but it would make logical sense to have the feast on the exact same date that the rest had taken place. The obvious problem is, should it be on the 14th or should it be on the 15th? This could pose significant problems. It could cause division in the Jews. Mordecai being aware of this shows great wisdom. And he purposes that this remembrance would be a two-day festival, both the 14th and the 15th day of the 12th month, this removing all possible problems of division. This festival like the others already established, would be an annual affair. This would not be a once-off occasion or happen for a couple of years. This was instituted into the Jewish way of life. This was to be remembered for the rest of Jewish history. But what was its essential purpose? Fourthly, we see the design of Purim. This is seen in verses 22 and 28. Verse 28 makes it clear as to what the chief purpose was of Purim. It was to be a festival of remembrance. The Jews in every province were to remember and to keep, according to verse 22, the time when sorrow was turned to joy and when the morning was turned into a good day. They were to commemorate the conquest of the Jews' enemies during the time of Mordecai and Esther. And the reason for this annual celebration was so that this memorial would never perish from their seed. It was to be remembered regularly so they would not forget. If we could borrow an Anzac Day phrase to describe this, it would be, lest we forget. But the purpose of this festival was not so much to focus on the victory itself, for pride may rear its ugly head, but the purpose was to remember the wonderful work of God. This is what they were not to forget. That is, it was God who had worked mightily. It was God who had delivered the Jews. It was because of He that they had been preserved. This is what could never be forgotten. 
And how unfortunate it is the blessings from God that you and I are often so quick to forget. This annual remembering of these mighty works of God would stimulate their gratitude and strengthen their faith. The Israelites had a problem of not remembering God's blessings. Remember when they travelled through the wilderness. This led to a lot of complaining instead of thanking God. And it led to unbelief in God rather than faith. This observance of Purim was to act as an antidote to avoid forgetting God. But notice with me also, this was not just for the current generation. But great emphasis in the text is placed on the future generations. It was vitally important that the generations to come were made aware of the great blessings of the past. The Jews of latter generations needed to be informed of the great conquest of the Jews' enemies during Mordecai's day. Matthew Henry said, God does not work wonders for just the day, but to be had in everlasting remembrance. Seeing how God had blessed in the past would encourage the next generations to greater faith. And this is why it's vitally important for us to teach the children the Word of God. This is why children's ministry is vitally important to the church, to teach them the things of God, to teach them what God has done. This was the design of Purim. To always remember what Yahweh had done, to keep in the front of their minds this amazing deliverance, and to pass this on from generation the generation. Purim was designed for a remembrance, but what would it entail? Fifthly, let's consider the duties of Purim. This is seen in verse 22. The process of the celebration, or what was to be included in this remembrance, was just a mimic of the original celebration. After the Jews' astonishing deliverance, they were filled with joy and they celebrated with feasts and the giving of gifts one to another. In Mordecai's proposal for this new festival, he decided that these two days of remembrance would be celebrated in the exact same fashion. This would include feasting. This including great quantities of food and drink, often gathering together in large groups. I think it's quite fitting and perhaps ironic that the events of this narrative is remembered by feasting, since there has been such a large amount of feasting and banqueting within the story of Esther. But not only was there to be feasting, but there was also to be joy. I find it rather interesting that throughout the Word of God, in many different places, we have to be instructed to be joyful, to rejoice. Now, one would think in this situation that the Jews would be automatic and spontaneous when they remember all that God had done for them. But no, this had to be commanded. But how often we are in the same boat, aren't we? 
We have so much to rejoice about. We have been saved by the blood of the Lamb, just to mention one thing. Yet how often we are most certainly not joyful beings. The third thing that Mordecai included in this remembrance is the giving of gifts. This particular gift was normally a food gift, but not strictly. And the purpose of this giving was not to give to someone because of what they're going to give you, but the point was to help out the poor in society. And this is a common theme right throughout the Word of God, to help the poor. And God punishes those who fail in this area. Purim was to be a time of generosity that emphasized community and unity. And this was all that Mordecai had included. But in verse 31, we see that both fasting and mourning was also included in this Feast of Purim. The feasting which was to occur before the feasting was, of course, a memorial of the fasting that took place before Esther came unto the king. And the remembering of the mourning was to remind them of the great grief that had swept over the entire nation when the decree was announced. This was the proposal. This was the particulars of Purim. But would the people be happy to respond to this wish of Mordecai? Or would they refuse since this was not a God-given feast? Well, sixthly, let's consider the delight for Purim. The delight seen in verses 23 through to 27. If Mordecai had presented this proposal and the people were not in agreement, it would have been very difficult to get this proposal into action. Obviously, Mordecai was the right man to have on the job. But nevertheless, if they refused to oblige, then obviously... There is an issue. But this proposal was readily accepted with a certain sense of excitement and anticipation. In verse 23, it says they undertook. This means they accepted. They received all that Mordecai had instructed. They thought this was a wonderful idea. So much so that this festival in verse 27 was ordained. This has the same idea as a decree. This was not an option. There was, they had an obligation to keep this feast and all were included. All were determined that this would become just as a bigger part of Jewish life as any of the other feasts. You know, the people were delighted. There was now a new feast to celebrate this almighty deliverance. This would be remembered on the 14th and 15th of Adar every year. So Israel would never forget the almighty work that God did to spare his people from this wicked tyrant, Haman. With the feast having been met with so much enthusiasm, both Mordecai and Esther joined forces to make this official. We see this seventhly when we consider the decree of Purim. The decree, this is seen in verses 29 through to 32. Why this decree, written from the pen of Esther, was needed, we are not sure. 
Perhaps there was some bickering and fighting as to the particulars of this feast. They didn't want to celebrate both days, or some didn't think this was a good idea since it didn't come from God. Or whether this was written just to simply confirm what had been sent out, we cannot be sure. But we can know for certain that when this decree was sent out, with the Queen's name attached to it, giving it authority, there would be no arguing. This would now become a way of life. This letter written in the complete authority of the Queen was quickly distributed throughout the entire empire, confirming the legitimacy of this feast and the obligation to keep this feast. In these verses, we have some words that are very easy to miss, but I think are of vital importance. They are used to describe the character of this particular letter sent. It's described as a letter containing words of peace and truth. What a stark contrast from the previous decrees that had been sent out. One could imagine the reaction of the people as another decree came into town. Surely someone else isn't going to take our life. Imagine the relief as they read this decree from the Queen, one that was vastly different from the others that had come through beforehand. This was one of good news, a letter of peace and truth. Notice in verse... 32, that this decree was documented in a book. This may be the official records of the Persian Empire, or it may be a book that Mordecai kept his official business in. I would suggest that this is not a reference to the book of Esther itself, but I would also suggest that this particular book that had the information recorded in it could have possibly been used in writing this book that we have in our Bible today. But it is vitally important that this was documented, for it would confirm the legitimacy for the current generation and also the necessity for the future generation to remember this feast. And this certainly worked, for the Feast of Purim is still alive and well. And we'll consider in the eighth point the durability of Purim. The durability of Purim. Modern Jews to this very day still celebrate the Feast of Purim. It begins on the 13th day of the 12th month when all fast in remembrance of Esther's fasting. On this day they all attend the synagogue where the story of Esther is read. When the name of Haman is read, the congregation pronounces in unison, let his name be blotted out. The children play their part with noisemakers and Persian rattles called Gregors to drown out the name of Haman every time it's read. Still others write the name of Haman on their souls and stamp their feet every time the name is read. The public reader recites the names of Haman's ten sons in one breath to convey the idea that they were hung together. All of these practices help the design of Purim, which is to commemorate the great conquest of their enemies. On the morning of the 14th day of the month, the Jews again go to the synagogue. 
where Esther is read again and the congregation engages in prayer. The story of Moses and the Amalekites in Exodus 17 is also read at this time. And this is significant because remember Haman was an Amalekite. There's a particular promise in Exodus 17 that the Amalekites would be gone. This happens in Esther. After the synagogue, the celebrants go home and have a festive holiday meal where gifts are given out, special food is eaten, and this celebrating continues for two days. At this time, they also send gifts to the poor and the needy so that everyone at this time can rejoice in remembering as to what the Lord has done. Now, this is the Feast of Purim designed so that the people would always remember what the Lord has done. And to this day, they still remember it. The importance of remembering what the Lord has done is something that is so relevant for you and I today, isn't it? How often we are quick to forget all that the Lord has done in our lives. To forget all the little blessings that He pours upon us each and every day, right up to the ultimate deliverance of ours from sin. Now we are quick to forget and often negligent in our praise towards God for what He has done and what He is doing. How quickly we too end up like Israel in the wilderness, murmuring and complaining at God, quickly forgetting all the wonderful things that He has done for you and for me. Beloved, it is of vital importance that we each and every day remember all that the Lord has done for us. It is imperative to count our many blessings and name them one by one daily. Our God has been so good to us Yet how often we are so ungrateful because we do not regularly remember and recall all that the Lord has done. And this just leads to us becoming ungrateful very quickly. We need to get in the practice of having a Purim of our very own each and every morning just to reflect for a brief moment on all that God has done for us, what God is doing for us and what God will do for us. If we can get in the habit of doing this, it will hunt off many sins, including the terrible sin of forgetting God. We are prone to forget and become complacent with the good things in life. But let's never forget all that God has done for us. Let's never forget the mighty deliverance of our own, where we were delivered from the slave market of sin through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Let's never forget this. There should never be a day go past in our lives when we do not think of this, what Jesus has done for us. Let's never forget Jesus. Beloved, let's never forget all that the Lord has done for you and me. And this, my friends, brings us to an end of our study in the book of Esther. I trust you have enjoyed it like I have and perhaps learnt something new. But let's just say we're not quite finished with this part of history when I preach. 
but you'll have to wait and see as to where we go next. Amen. Let's pray.